making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um... I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your face. I'm gonna bash him right the fuck in. I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was pure and simply evil. All right, welcome back, analysis listeners. <laughs> Does that count jocular? Oh, uh, very Bella Lugosi. Yeah, that was a little. <laughs> Almost like the Dave Chappelle bit. How many bitches must I smack? <laughs> One, two, three bitches. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, off and running. Welcome back, analysis listeners. I'm joined by a few psychopaths. My resident Freddy and Jason from Denver, Colorado. Of course, it's Mike Hammond and Jordan Harris. Say. Boo to the people, guys. Ooh, hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, yo. Very spooky. Very scary. And joining us from Royal Oak, he's never been more thankful to be a virgin than this time of year. <laughs> Colin Shay. Welcome back to the program, bud. I don't even know how to respond to that. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be back. Glad I made the first cut. Cut, pun intended. Yeah, first cut, pun intended. There you go. Well, Kyle, of course, it is that time of year where it's a great time to be a virgin. The pumpkins are out on the front porch. Scarecrows are hanging uh, from home goods in people's fences. Fake spider webs everywhere. It's Halloween season. And I believe it was you or maybe it was Jordan's idea to have us come on and do almost a monster mashup conversation about our favorite Halloween movies that we like to watch at this time of the year. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be talking about our favorite movies, horror films, slasher films, thriller suspense films that we like to watch, get the blanket, get the lady, cover up, get spooky, and watch during the Halloween weekend, and which is coming right up. It's right upon us. And I'm excited to have you guys on. How do you guys feel today? Awesome, man. Another Halloween. Yeah, it's the holiday that's supposed to be for kids, but it's definitely for adults. So, <laughs> looking forward. Yeah, just to it. happy to see another one, man. You know, each year life's at risk, so you never know what's gonna come out of the shadows and come get you. So, uh, is it bad that like as a as a homeowner, I like enjoy Halloween even more, or if not the same as I did as I was a kid? Because the of the decorations are out, it's all good. Yeah, we'll rub it in our yeah. face that you own a home, Colin. Come on. Yeah, what well, a big timer over here, Colin Shea. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I had to fire someone at work today, and I waited until <laughs> Halloween weekend because it's very spooky stuff. So, <laughs> is this, this is that, a Michael Scott plot line. No, I didn't actually have to fire anybody at work. I'm waiting <laughs> for, for, for next Halloween. Wednesday. So, anyways, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about our favorite Halloween movies that we like to watch uh, over the Halloween weekend and into next Wednesday, which is actual Halloween and. I want to state off the bat that we're not making claims that these are the best horror films of all time. These are just the movies that we like to watch. So people listening, you might not necessarily hear your all-time favorite. We're not making claims. We understand.
understand that there's classic horror films that influence some of the films that we're going to talk about today. So these are just kind of our fun recommendations for the weekend. Do you agree, guys? 100%. Yeah, and we made them kind of on a whim. We didn't do a ton of research in the group text. We just agreed and within two days what we were going to pick, and that was it. That's why the shout-outs are going to be cool. Yeah, we dove in, and we... We got into some a really dark place, though, last week in terms of watching all these movies and getting on the same page. What were some of your guys' first thoughts going through the horror shop exercise? We'll start with you, Hammond. Yeah, so the biggest thing for me is that the age that you are when you first see a scary movie plays a lot into how scary you think it is, which is obvious, but rewatching some of these movies I hadn't seen in a while, it's bizarre to remember why things were scary when you are watching a movie when you're like 10 or 15 years older than when you first saw it. So it was fun to go through these movies because there's, they're dated in their own kind of special way too. Um, I think an interesting part for me was like how much technology's changed and how a lot of the plots of these movies don't even make a ton of sense now. Like you couldn't even do them because the disconnected feature yeah. or... Cell phones throw a wrench into a lot of plots. Yes, yes. They would make it much more difficult to do. Uh, the internet, Wi-Fi, those things. So I, it was funny yeah, watching yes, these movies because they they're all sort of scary for their own era. Which is no, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see which horror movie in the future like truly embraces all the tech and has a really engaging like story. I'm curious if that'll happen. Well, there's a new one that just came out with the guy from Harold and Kumar. Searching. Searching, which has a whole yeah, social media it. element to it. I haven't seen it yet, but that's that's the one that's catching a lot of buzz currently outside of the Halloween remake. Or Halloween sequel, excuse me. Yeah, not a so, remake. Yeah, I mean, that's been... They, they Russell Brand makes fun of that, how horror films were trying to do the whole cell phone dependency when he was in forgetting Sarah Marshall and Sarah Marshall was in a horror movie about cell phones. He's like, just take the battery out of the phone. Movie's over. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they try to do some of that in, in modern horror films, but not necessarily the best watches and in horror films can come and go through phases. And, uh, you know, they always seems to be every five, six, seven years, something will pop up. Hereditary was something for me this year that isn't necessarily on one of my lists, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about later in, in shout outs, but how about you, Jordan? What were some of your feelings when you were going through the exercise? Yeah. To your point real quick about technology, it's like, I, I think there used to be a time back in the day, right? Where, somebody might see something on film that they'd never seen before and it scared the crap out of them because of filming tricks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And today it's like, we have so much technology, you've just seen everything. Like, it's hard to, like, really surprise somebody anymore. Yeah. Um, but in regards to Halloween in general, I mean, the great thing about Halloween is that it's an excuse to watch a very specific genre of movies. And I look forward to it every year. Um, and I don't know that there's another time of the year where you sit down and you're like, I'm going to watch all of my favorite, uh, scary movies from the past or some new ones or whatever. And you just spend a month essentially sitting down and, uh, going through a catalog of spooky movies. I mean, it's, um, but that being, yeah. with that kind of said, maybe romantic comedies around Valentine's day, of course, Christmas movies over the Christmas holiday, but I, I see what your point in terms of those get like one day for me, Halloween movies get, you know. A, a month or so, or at least several movies. Okay, maybe that's because you're sick th and perverse. But I, yeah, I do but agree in with general, you. though, I'm actually not a fan of the genre. I've been pretty critical of it in the past because I'm definitely not a fan of, you know, the jump scare kind of movies. Um, I'm not a fan of the torture porn, like overly gory movies. And I've always kind of complained that 
in general, the horror genre puts out, I think, the least interesting and lowest quality films. A lot of them are just kind of the same shit over and over and over again. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of good ones mixed in there. So uh, it's fun to watch the, the great ones. And it kind of makes them even a little bit more special because they're in amongst a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about even going through the process of rewatching some of the scary movies and knowing when that fridge closes what's going to happen behind it knowing and, and, and being able to anticipate some of those scares was it as fun what was the nostalgia like you can't talk to some of your feelings going through that process well like in a way right i think that that in itself is the test of a, of a good scary movie right like i can think of one in particular you know i have a feeling we are going to discuss it at some point maybe in the shout outs but uh specifically the first time i saw it being terrified and then every subsequent watch Really, I was like boring. But there's a number of movies in this genre where I could watch it a hundred times and I still feel like queasy or uneasy. I still jump at the things that I kind of know or like semi forgot were coming. And I don't know, to me, those are the ones that kind of stand the test of time. And those are the ones that end up in like the pantheon of horror. And that is a perfect segue into the films in our list that we're going to talk about. So to get us started, I'm going to ask Mike Hammond. Mike Hammond, can you let us know your go-to, you're going to sit down, you're on a desert island, and it's Halloween, you've got one movie that you're going to watch. What's the movie that you go to? Number one go-to movie is a great movie that happens to be a horror movie, and that would be The Shining, which I would say, if I had to argue, which I don't really want to because I haven't seen enough of these movies to make the claim, but I would say The Shining is probably the greatest horror movie ever made. Or it's in, what, top three or five for most people. If you do a quick search... Oh, right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yep. Yeah, and... Uh, right off the bat, pun intended. Yeah. And, okay. and the number uh, one just reason... Just the bat. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to bash your brains. I want to bash them right the fuck in. Give me the bat. Excuse me. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. Excuse me. Anyway, so yeah, Mike, you think this is one of the best? I agree, this is easily the best horror film, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the one where, to, to Colin's point, I can still rewatch it. I still get chills. Ugh. Going through it is an absolute nightmare. You talked about some of your favorite moments and elements of the movie? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's really easy to say this about Kubrick because, uh, like, Jordan and I just went and saw 2001 A Space Odyssey like two months ago in theaters. And we went and rewatched it the exact same way that you would see it if you went to theaters for the first time, like when it came out, I think in like 69. And the way that movie holds up to me was so amazing. That was the takeaway we had when we walked out of the theater. And The Shining might even be more so. This movie, it, not only does it hold up, it's like riveting every time that you watch it and you like can find different parts of it that are interesting each time that you put it on. Mm-hmm. It's a multiple it, interpretations movie. It, there's a lot of different uh, theories. Yeah, I know. And it's and that's what's so cool about it too is there's I think there's two parts to it. The the first part is the way that Kubrick films it, there's like this inherent sense of like tension and suspense and almost like an ambiguity or like a disconnect that you have with it that you're just sort of always uncomfortable watching it. And I, I don't know if any other movie's done it that well or has even done it in the same category or class that this movie does it it's like i mean the movie starts out right and it's this beautiful shot of the mountains and a lake and it's sunny out but the music and everything, yeah the cinematography you, is amazing yeah and and you know right away something's wrong and you kind of feel like that the whole movie like nothing you're never really comfortable with what you're watching 
and that just leads into the actual plot of the movie. But I think that's that's what the takeaway for me is when you every time you watch it, you feel that it's bizarre. The, the stories about the painstaking details that Kubrick had gone to to film certain scenes is like stuff of legend. Like that first scene definitely was one, but I think I. I the the blood spilling out of the elevator scene is took them something like a year to film. It's something crazy because they kept coming back to it and kept redoing it because he wanted to get it so right. There's a bu- they say like the rumor is that it took 127 takes right to do the famous staircase scene that we were talking about earlier when he's with the bat. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. there's some like it's like it was like a it was like a Guinness record at the time they claimed that it was. There's like so much legend around it that I think a lot of these stories have become yeah. sort of. Uh, half truth and half myth but that's what makes it kind of even like adds to the allure of the movie have you guys seen the documentary room 237 i have yeah the documentary about it because it's it's really cool because it goes into the nature of fandom of a movie that that's really the theme of it but all the different theories of what people think it means whether it's the raping of the native americans or the fact that we've never been to the moon or just all these different fanboy theories and and how there's so many different ways people interpret this movie and take it there's no real specific thing that the movie's about that you can put your finger on i think makes it just incredible an incredible film I also think it's just it's the tension is is a great point that you guys brought up the the score when you rewatch it it's almost kind of like I, I think they were ripping it off a little in the dark night with that that tension noise that they were making with the Joker all the time it feels like that that's what they did in this one it's just a bunch of random noises do you guys get that sense um, as well mm-hmm. yeah so, the, the yeah the the sound the sound is is certainly unsettling for sure. Um, with Room 237, though, like, don't you think that breathed, not this movie needed it, but didn't it breathe, like, a new life into the, like, the the lifespan of this movie? Like, have you, was this the if, first time you rewatched The Shining after watching Room 237? Because it was, it was for me. Well, in ju- just and, in general, No, I watched them pretty a... close back to back after I'd seen the theories. I went and rewatched it to see how many mm-hmm. I agreed with. But Did after that, this is my did any of you guys pick up on the the design of the Overlook itself yes, and how I, it makes I, absolutely yes, no sense? Yes, I wanted did to you, talk about this. Did you know that bef- before, before you watched no, Room 237? No, I did not. I did not know that. Yeah, I had I, no idea. And then, yeah, then you watch so, it the next time and you're like, holy shit. Well, like, yeah. this completely adds to the supernatural element of this. And I never even picked up on it because they did it on purpose. Right. That's why I'm talking about the – I'm not sure if it's disorientation or, like, you just feel like you don't know what's going on. There's, like, an unconscious thing happening where rooms are in places where they physically can't be – uh, doors or places that would not lead to a room. Uh, like the scene where Danny yep. is riding the big wheel around, which I love when it's, he's like mm-hmm. on the carpet, off the carpet, on the carpet, off the carpet. And he's just moving around yep. the hotel. A lot of that stuff spatially, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like a prop set. And it, throughout the movie, you kind of feel that, but you don't notice it. And then that's why room 237 kind of reinforced that for me. I was like, okay, now I get why I felt weird watching that. Cause you get why it's yeah, so you, disoriented. You wonder if it's like, subconscious that you, it's just throwing you off balance and you don't really even know it until somebody points yeah, like, it out there's to that you. scene and you're like oh shit yeah. there's that scene where the TV's on but there's no cord that's connected to it or outlet anywhere yeah. and watching it again that seems so weird but at the time I didn't think that I was looking for that I just felt weird watching it 
I also thought it was surprisingly funnier in rewatches than how scared I was when I first saw it. Because when you, before, well, the first time you see it, I, I was kind of told, uh, you can't see that one yet. It's too intense for you. Oh, it's too intense for you. And my parents were pretty liberal in terms of letting me see horror. So by the time I got to see it, I was so built up. I was so scared that I wasn't really listening to the nuances or some of the, like, Jack Nicholson's actually kind of fucking hilarious in this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, like, unnerving and... He's dialed it up to a, to eleven for sure. Yeah, he's well. I, that's the second part of this movie why why I wrote it down as it being amazing is Jack Nicholson. I mean, the bar scenes with Lloyd, especially the first one, <laughs> it's, it's so just good. unbelievable. He's he's not like The Exorcist or Jason or Michael Myers, where it's like a dude in a mask with a knife. He's like a person losing his mind. Which is terrifying. If you're in the same room with somebody... And he's just, just really annoyed and wants a drink. And yeah. he's going to hit someone in the face with a baseball bat. Right. And he's like... <laughs> right. And he's like talking... You know... The lines that he says when he's talking about Danny and... Um, it's so unsettling. And that to me is way scarier than anything that you could have be these fake characters or anything... That, someone chasing with a knife like that. That's way scarier to me. The power of the human mind is so scary. That just the... the, the, the losing your mind is one of the, the scariest things to me and there's the four main horror films i'm doing a little bit of research it was killers monsters paranormal and psychological and i feel the psychological movies are by far the scariest it's funny you say jack nicholson mike because stephen king i guess like hated jack nicholson being cast in the role because he's such a naturally um menacing actor like just to look at him like his smile is so menacing that he didn't, like, represent the good guy that descends into madness. He's, like, already kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, Stephen King has been critical of the movie in general. A lot. Very critical. You know? Yeah. No, he ha- yeah, he hated it, but he specifically, like, really disagreed with the casting of Nicholson for that reason. Like, he thought it should have been a more, like, clean-cut guy who, you know, like that standard archetype of, like, good guy gone bad. You know, and Nicholson was... Nicholson's already a very just evil-looking, menacing dude. He just has that look to him. Yeah, but it's also yeah, really sure. cool how Kubrick's able to keep him grounded. It's it's, it's he's it still makes sense in the world, right? It's not just off the wall, batshit crazy. It, it, it the, the way they do the movie makes the performance make sense, and is justified. Yeah, I actually like it. I actually like the writing more that way because it's like it's almost just like giving permission to a guy who's kind of already bad to go completely evil because he is bad, right? Like there's allusions to him having abused Danny and stuff already before this movie takes place. So like he's already a bad guy, but the presence in here essentially just gives him like that that little nudge, kind of like Packer gives uh, Michael Scott when when that's what she said. Like it just like gives him the go ahead, you know what I mean? And then he like tips over the edge, you know, like the Joker. Like you know, all you need is that little push and like. Uh, he does represent that in that way. Right, you just compared Jack Nicholson, the Joker, and Michael Scott. That was in the same in the same, in the same sentence. Well, I did play the Joker. Hey, you're welcome. So there you go. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Since this is uh, your movie, and uh, you guys are talking about Room Two Thirty One and all the different theories, what is your theory for uh, the scene with the guy in the opened ass bear suit blowing another dude? <laughs> I don't know about that one. I think it's a throwback to the previous hotel. I would say an experience that happened. I'd like to button this shape. up with uh, your guys' <laughs> thoughts of the picture and what the picture means at the end of the movie, the photograph. I can, yeah, so I think uh, this isn't something that I came up with myself. I think this is a movie I've read a lot about, which which taints a little bit your own opinion of it, but I guess the best one that I found is that, kind of what you were saying, Bob, it was there's some Native American slash uh, story of America or repetition of violence and genocide. 
is a theme that I like that they try to show throughout the movie that this isn't the first time this has happened. It's happened repeatedly through history, just in different with different people and in different circumstances. But that like level of evil and the need to be violent is inherent like in everybody, and it has really never left us. And he uses the hotel as sort of a landscape a bit for America by having it be the super old place that's all Native American decorated and. There's lots of red, white, and blue colors. Danny's Apollo 11 sweater, I think, is all those things. He's trying to do a little bit of that, but it's so hard to say for sure. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous and vague to a degree. So I, I don't know if I disagree or agree with any interpretation. That I found them all pretty interesting. I really like that interpretation. It's more, it's way uh, deeper than my, he's always been there and he's just a spooky ghost that I had when I was 12 years old, so... <laughs> I think it's the presence of evil has always been there and like evil is enduring. It's all enduring. It'll always be a part of us, not just Jack, but everybody. And you know, history, it's going to repeat itself. History will always, or evil will always be present. But there's nothing inherently evil about the picture. I just took it as something that like the movie just, the movie in general just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I took it simply as just one more thing that makes you question like what is really going on. Because the whole movie can be seen as questioning, like, what the hell is actually going on? And I just saw it as one more example of that. Perfect. Well, to keep the ball bouncing, I'd like to swing it over to our buddy in Royal Oak, Colin Shea, in his big fancy house. Colin, what's the movie you watch in your big fancy house when it comes Halloween time? <laughs> uh, well, this one, it's, it's really not even once. I'd say on average I'd probably watch it from the time October 1st hits uh, till Halloween probably like five times. It's... It's number one in my pantheon, and it's Scream, and it's a seminal movie from our teen years. And there are a lot of entries in the slasher genre over the years, and a lot of them are really good, you know, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Burning, Prom Night, My Bloody Valentine, all that stuff. But what sets Scream... My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> the original one, not the... Re- These are remakes that you guys are used to. But what sets, uh, what sets Scream apart from them is that movies when they're truly transcendent can be judged by what comes before and what comes after them. Did you guys know that prior to Scream, there had been a total of 19 sequels attached to the Jason, Freddy, and Michael franchises? 22 of them total, counting the, the original three, prior to Scream coming out. Yeah, it was getting really watered down. Yeah, that genre was incredibly stale and boring, and they were essentially just gasping for air and praying for like a viable new entry, and then here comes Scream, and now we have that fourth face to the slasher Mount Rush Mount Rushmore ghost face. And Yeah, do you think Ghostface is on icon status? Like what's your feeling on Ghostface in the in, in that group? Do you think he deserves to be in that group? I I think if if you're judging him on Scream alone, I mean you know, Michael has the staying power of having what had fifth like twelve movies now, you know, I guess. So like there's a familiarity to him, but I think in terms of millennials and Everybody who's come after, I think, absolutely screams in the Pantheon. I think it's the big three, and then Scream is is right there with them. Ghostface itself, yes. Okay. But, I mean, you know, it it paid homage to all those. You know, like, you have Freddy the Janitor. You have Halloween constantly playing on the TV in the backgrounds of the movie. You have Jason as one of the opening, uh, you know, trivia questions. Um, So they paid homage while simultaneously writing their own rules. You know, like, essentially just saying, like, look, we respect you guys, what you did, but it's it's time to usher in the new... new, uh, the new era of horror and did and then, they write their own rules though or did they just follow the rules of the pre-existing movies did they follow their own rules i mean you had two killers at the end you had the opening scene which is maybe the most legendary scene in 
horror movie in the last 30 years where your main character, if you guys remember, they marketed this as a Drew Barrymore movie. She was in... She was yeah, in, she's she, the face on yeah, the she's poster. she's in most of the preview as well, the original preview. She's the first person you see, and you see a lot of her in the preview. And then 15 minutes into the movie, 10 minutes into the movie, she's dead. And that really was never really done before. I mean, Psycho was a pretty close comparison, but she lasts a lot longer than that. Um, but still, I mean, that was, I mean, that was a deviation from the rules... I mean, it was the first, it was a very self-reflecting movie that literally calls things out in the movie. It had a an, a cast like the the characters themselves were literally telling you how big of horror movie fans they were, and they were calling all the shit out during during the movie. The "Don't be right back," you know, the, or "Don't say I'll be right back." You know, versions can't uh, win at the end. If you have sex, you die. And then, of course, you know, Nev Campbell has sex with the killer, and then she eventually wins too. So, I mean, yes, there are plenty of times where they deviate from what this tried and true. Uh, you know, structure had been for the last, you know, 20 years of slasher movies. I think the movie definitely is iconic. It's not as fun of a rewatch for me. I, I remember, though, if I can reflect back on the first time that I watched it, it's a whodunit movie, and it was really hard for me to figure out who the murderer was. I did, you know, I, if you listen to this podcast long enough, you know that I like to play, I, I like to try to guess endings, and the the two killer element definitely surprised me the entire time I was and that's what made it really scary was because there's no motive there was no you, you had no idea what was why and why this you just there is a motive there is a motive in the end and the end yeah he's, but the whole movie yeah, you're watching it for yeah. the first time you have like why are they killing these people I have, so then and yeah. then you you get the motive at the end but that's what made it pretty scary and suspenseful it's like anyone could go and that's why killing off Drew Barrymore in the first scene was so classic cuz it's like okay everybody's on the table now yeah and so much of the structure of that movie is is to me unique and they people tried to copy it so much afterwards that first scene like you said, terrifying. You don't see it coming. It's actually really, really, really creepy. All of Act 2 is this self-reflective, really, really funny. There are really, really funny actors in this movie, and there's a lot of good laugh moments. And then you get into scene 3, and there's this reveal that you're talking about. And not only did they do a good job of killing off Skeet Ulrich to the point where you thought, you know, Billy couldn't be the guy. He comes back. Then there's the reveal, and I'm sure there were some people in the audience who were like, oh, well, of course it's the boyfriend. Then she turns to run, and Stu, who you also thought was probably dead, now he's in on it too. You see both of them. And there's not like a Scooby-Doo reveal, right? Like the mask doesn't just come off. It's like an authentic. These two just show up, and you're like, holy shit, there's two of them. And it's really it was funny that you say different. Scooby-Doo because Matthew Lillard was also in the Scooby-Doo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, right. He, he did. Yeah, he played an excellent Shaggy. <laughs> yes. His, I mean, his career went downhill after this, unfortunately. Well, that's because Ben Foster showed up. And there's no need for Matthew Lillard when Ben Foster shows up. Yeah, well, you've got the, you've got the crazy covered. Yeah, I I mean I give this movie credit. <laughs> I give this movie credit for doing the genre justice, I guess, or expanding the genre. But to me, something I wanted to bring up about just all these movies is the slasher film genre is like my least favorite horror genre. I, I, it's like how many times I get there's some changes to this movie, but. It's still like women running through hallways trying to get away from creepy guys with knives. And like at some point, how many times can you watch that? Although Scream was at the time. I remember growing up it being like this terrifying movie and everything else. So I, I mean, I give it credit for that. I'm not going to go too overboard. Yeah, I should also I should also say so I didn't get I didn't get time for like my my full intro. But what I was going to say is that when I watch Halloween movies, there's a certain type of subgenre or three or four of them that really fit in Halloween for me. Like 
Just because a movie's scary doesn't mean to me that it's a Halloween movie. But this, we have a masked killer. We have a very unique uh, plot and structure and approach to the genre movie, deconstructing what's come before it. And everything like that makes it a phenomenal Halloween movie for me. Like, I'll watch it, like, five times during the season, and then I probably won't watch it again until Halloween comes around. But it has the making, all the makings of, like, an amazing Halloween movie. I mean, it's got a Hollywood costume that everybody uses now. It's got so many scenes that everybody's tried to rip off since. It's just a movie that works, and it works really well at Halloween. And I really appreciate uh, your perspective on that, because for me, I had, a, I had a really hard time remembering what it was like, how I felt when this movie came out. And I just, I don't know, I, I, I didn't have that context to look back and remember what it was like. So re-watching it, I mean, this movie's been parodied and copied so much that yeah. re-watching it, it just, it almost seemed like a joke. It's... I was wondering if it to would... no fault of their to no to no fault of their yeah, own, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I see what you're saying, though. But like, like I wasn't sure if it was like supposed to be campy or if I, in hindsight, it just seems campy because it's been uh, replicated so much. And it has. It's funny because so much of it, so much of it, still makes me laugh. Like Stu at the end when he's like, "You hit me with the phone, dick," <laughs> or you know, like 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 Randy oh, doing Lillard his whole is overacting uh, his ass off the whole dude, movie. I know, but they're but it's like yeah. there's legit funny you know, lines like your mom showing her shit around town. Let's be honest, Sid, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Like all those lines are actually still kind of funny when you watch them, and it doesn't feel super campy to me. Maybe I just have a soft yeah, spot. It's for also it, very but. '90s. That movie is like so '90s, yeah, crazy. Well, oh yeah, I mean, the cell phones are great. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. I mean, those are two or not Jennifer Aniston, Gordon Cox. I wrote down on my on my top of my notes here. Matthew Lillard equals fake Ben Foster. Steve Ulrich equals wants to be Johnny Depp. Fake Johnny Depp. I wrote, yeah. I wrote Henry Winkler dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can, we, can you take it? Henry is the, is the principal, Bonzi, and then man. they murder him. I was like, what? And Bob, I, this is completely erased from my memory. I really hated, and I forgot how much I hated Officer Dewey in this. Oh, yeah. And yeah. anyone Wait, who wants Bob, to go to Bob, Bob you, have to, you have to take a second here, though. You texted us this the other day about Henry Winkler dying, and we all agreed it's the worst movie death of all time. The worst acting when he dies. Disagree. <laughs> it's the, Disagree. What? It's the most overacting in a death I've ever seen. <laughs> That was that. We, that came so from a natural bad. place. That's Emmy Award winning Henry Winkler. Go watch Barry, okay? That guy's got a lot of talent. Asshole. He committed to that scene. That was Wes Craven fucking up that scene. That wasn't Winkler. I would love to see a scene in Barry where he pulls out that scene as like a way to act. It'd be a great self <laughs> self self reference thing. It would fit completely within that character. Anyway, Colin, do you have any final thoughts on Scream? Think I, re- I mean, there's there's some smaller points, but I know we I know we have a lot more to get to. Um, I was surprised that it made 173 million against a 14 million dollar budget. I did not realize it was that successful, but um, you know that, that's cool. I, I can leave it at that. I just think it's uh, it's got the staying power, more staying power than the average horror movie that we've had in the last 20 years, and the combination of comedy and genuine terror is has been really difficult to duplicate since they did it so successfully okay final thought for me david arquette sucks so i'm gonna swing it over to jordan (laughs) harris jordan let's hear uh your first spooky movie that you've been watching yeah so in my opinion it is really hard to be scared twice by a movie right so we just talked about scream and uh even the shining and rewatching them and you think like 
I remember this movie being scary, but you watch it again, you're like, it's almost kind of funny, or it just doesn't have that same effect. And so I had to pick the movie that legitimately scared me uh, twice, and that's Paranormal Activity. It's also the so last. Scary. It's also the last time I truly remember like going to the theater and being scared by a movie. Um, and it's a it's a low budget flick. It's in it's shot in the same style as uh, Blair Witch Project. It's this like found footage, lost footage type of thing. Um, yeah, documentary style horror. Yeah, and I think Paranormal Activity is probably the best example of that subgenre that there is. Um, and man, what I think the movie just does a really great job of building suspense, uh, and. There's not a lot going on. It's a pretty simple film, uh, but you see, you know, most of the uh, the scares come from these scenes when they're sleeping, and there's a camera set up that just is pointed at them sleeping in bed, and that's when the uh, demon, ghost, ghoul, whatever you want to call it, uh, is active, and uh, that's when uh, you know you it, it, you start seeing things that are odd happening at night when they're sleeping. And to me, that's actually like so creepy because you never really know what's going on around you when you're sleeping. Like, I mean, I guess unless you have a camera set up like this guy does in the movie, conveniently for the movie's sake. But, you know, it's just so creepy to think that things might be happening to you uh, at night. And the movie really starts slow and there's, uh, there's little scares and it just builds, it slowly builds, it slowly builds. And as the movie goes on, every time they go to bed, you're just... You're sitting at the edge of your seat. You're kind of holding your breath because you know some shit is coming, and you're waiting for it to escalate because you know it's gonna escalate. And each each time, like something doesn't happen, you kind of like breathe a sigh of relief. And the movie builds this way until the end. And there's a there's a really great ending scene where you know shit goes down, and it's you know it, it stays with me. And I'm one of those people that uh, you know I'm a, a fan of when. Uh, the good guys lose and the bad guys win and when you don't have happy endings in mm-hmm. movies because I think it always just sticks with you a lot more um, and that's, mm-hmm. yeah. that's definitely the case in this one um, Harris did you did you get to feel like you mentioned that earlier there's been a lot of found footage movies this one uses a camera on a computer at night Like, did you feel like this was the first time even counting Blair Witch where you watched a found footage movie and you never really asked yourself like why the fuck are you still holding the camera or like you would have just dropped this and run. Like, there was never any of those moments where you're like, this, the fact that they're filming right now feels really stupid and illogical. Yeah, this... The, like, the way, they, the way they set it up was really smart. Yeah. It's way smarter. It was. I, I, yeah, I just, I, Jordan, of all the ones that we've rewatched in prep for this, I agree with you. This one affected me the most in a rewatch because of the, the sleeping element. Because you eventually have to get inside that stinking bed and lay there with your thoughts and it's like what the like what if this door opened like just the what if my covers flew off it, it, it definitely had me as a 32 year old dude sleeping in my bed kind of checking that hallway light you, and i can say those that weird noises yeah. in your house you're like the fuck was that <laughs> yeah it, and it really played the the noise and sound were used really really well in this with the hollow footsteps on the ground and then the 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 scenes weren't necessarily cgi'd but it was almost like practical magic almost it was almost like a magic trick how they shot some of that stuff it's like how the hell did they shoot that i really i really was spooked out by this movie 
I was just gonna say to that point with like the 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 sounds and the simple scares, like it came at a point where, like, Hostel was a few years later, and everyone was at this point where we were getting these crazy like, like you said earlier, like torture porn, like over the top, really insanely graphic displays of horror in movies, and then this movie comes along, and it's so simple and it's so minimalist and it's ten times more terrifying than all these things that we've been desensitized to are. It the scariest thing is yeah, always pretty... the thing that you don't see, right? right? Once you once you see the thing, it's not as scary as as, as much anymore. Jaws um, one hundred one. Yeah, and speaking of the noise, the the after the movie ends and the screen cuts to black and there's just that low rumbling sound that lasts what feels like forever. Do you guys remember that? The movie's over mm-hmm. and you're literally sitting there just watching a dark screen and listening to some noise and thinking like. What what the fuck? What's gonna happen now? And then the credits roll, and you're like, oh goddamn! Like, all right, yeah. let's get out of here. Finally over. Yeah, it's I just... think what that movie really has going yeah. for it too is that it's that security cam footage setup where it's dead silent all the time, and you're just waiting for something to happen because it's quiet, and then when something happens, you kind of overreact to it, and then they hit you with another thing really quickly after that, and it's like a little more of a jolt. I mean, in terms of jump scares, this was the the scariest rewatch in terms of that. Like, whoa. But I think uh, it's scary because it, it, it makes you use your imagination, right? Like, they go to bed and you're like, what's going to happen? I know something's coming. And you're sitting there and it takes a while to develop. And the time, there's like a timer right on the camera and it's ticking by. And you're just thinking like, I know some shit's coming. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? And you're in your own head for so long in this movie. And then when you see it, they do just a really good job of executing on those thrills. Um, and then what other Well, thing? really well put. Yeah. You know, one of the other kind of neat things about the movie is that it famously, they shot a bunch of different endings to it, uh, which you can go online and see. The one that ended up uh, being shown in theaters was selected by uh, Steven Spielberg, actually. Or he, he recommended, at least, that it be uh, filmed a certain way. But you can go online mm-hmm. and well, see Well, originally like, he recommended it just have aliens, but then they were like, no, Steven, let's go a different route. <laughs> so then he was like, okay, fine. I'll give up the aliens. <laughs> For a demonic uh, monster at the end or something. Poltergeist. Cool. Really well put. I, I completely agree. Total spook fest. So watch that one with, or at least keep the light on, the hallway light on after you after you watch. So uh, for me, I went with one of the classics, and it's more of a nostalgia take than it's a really amazing movie. But I, I do think it it, it definitely warrants discussion but i went with the original 1978 john carpenter halloween and michael myers the goat at the top of mount rushmore if we're talking about mount rushmore and music this movie yeah and this one was one of the first horror movies i ever watched and and it was i i was always afraid of horror movies to tell you guys to the truth and when i was a little kid i would i i saw a, a kind of a, a somewhat spooky trailer before a movie we were going to see and it scared me so bad that before we would go to see subsequent movies my mom would wait and uh, wait i would stay outside with her while the trailers were going on because i was afraid to see another trailer and then i got invited to a sleepover uh, at john blazinski's house and he had rented a 
ton of scary movies, and that was going to be what he did for his, his birthday party. He was going to watch scary movies. And one of the first ones was like, we're going to watch Halloween. And it was this kind of coming of age, like, this is what horror movies are to us. So there's, a, there's some nostalgia behind that. And I think it's a really cool Halloween movie for this weekend because obviously it's set around the holiday. And so you get a lot of the feeling there's there's pumpkins, there's kids trick or treating, but and it's also just really the first major indie horror film, or at least the the first one that I came across because I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet. So it's just always in my uh, collection when I'm coming around this holiday. How do you guys feel? I would say uh, rewatching a lot of these uh, Halloween movies, it really made it noticeable how much they borrow from other movies that came before them. And I would say none more so than Halloween. Yeah, the foreground, background use, the kind of the stalking element they give. And I talked a little bit about this with Bobby Peterson on, on the yeah. Halloween, the new Halloween chop that we had. But they give you the perspective of Michael Myers. It almost makes you feel like a stalker that you're going through that piece. It's really, really well directed mm-hmm. by John Carpenter. Yeah. Well, the the first like five, six minutes of that movie is really great. It's just yeah, the, the intro is spooky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's phenomenal. And then he's he's moving from window to window. Yeah. And you get his perspective. You can tell what's going on in the house, but you don't know everything about it. You don't know that they're family and all that. And then he puts the mask on, and you have like the eyelet holes over the camera, and then it, he just walks out with that knife as a little kid, and you're like, all right, I guess this is going to be terrifying. Another movie right. where a random guy is killing people for no fucking reason that makes right. you think like that could be you, that could be anybody. Well, and it's a very suburban based based like horror movie too, right? It's not fair to just say that's another movie like that. Like this was one of the first mainstream movies that really they're, like they're forget the sequels and the remakes and the Rob Zombie stuff like that. Like there is no motive in this movie. Yeah, they right. they it's they not- they explain nothing to you. Like he's just and this was one of the first movies where I kind of learned to listen to characters who actually aren't. The main, the main person the main. on screen. Do you, do you remember? You remember in the class, the first time Laurie Strode looks out the window and sees Michael Myers across the street behind the car, right? If you're listening to the teacher who's still talking in the background, she's talking about how um, I forget if they're reading Shakespeare or what they're what specifically they're they're reading, but they're talking about how whatever character that was in, was the in physical embodiment of fate, and in, in a way, it was saying the exact same thing. It's like Michael Myers, without this motive, it was just yeah, yeah. fate. How, like, he can't be stopped. He was the embodiment of fate, the embodiment of evil. He just kept on coming. And, like, you can kind of hear those little nuggets being dropped in there, which is, like, the sign of, a, I think, a good movie and a good, a good screenwriter and director. Yeah, it examines evil. It just examines how evil can become somebody or someone can become evil and evil's relationship with humanity. And he's kind of a manifestation of that. And that's just an incredible, incredibly horrifying. You're talking about a horror genre. That's a horrifying concept. So yeah. it's with that mm-hmm. said, in the rewatch, uh, it is a little rough. You, you kind of laugh at it, too. It has that indie horror shit element as well. So it's not a perfect movie by any means. Bob, since this is your, since this is oh, yeah. your movie, can I ask, I'll ask, I'll ask this to you. If this yeah. movie, if this movie takes place on August 3rd, have we watched it any more times than two or three? If it doesn't take place on October 31st um, and it's named Halloween, like, is this movie well, good enough on its own? How about just the fact that, how about just the fact that no movie had ever been named Halloween before? 
And yeah, made a total miss. Like, right, it's a great marketing move. It's a phenomenal it's marketing move. I'm just curious if it doesn't take place on Halloween, does the story and everything else hold up? And I, I don't even really know the answer. I th- I'm leaning towards yes. Like, I still think it's a really good horror but, movie. But I'm just wondering if it's I, lasted I nearly as long. That's a really good question. I think that's a really good question. And I, th- I think so, because there's nothing about the holiday specifically that makes the movie scary. But it, it does provide nice atmosphere. And we were talking about paranormal activity and the, the build and atmosphere. I think in horror is the most important genre for atmosphere and setting. And so to put it in the backdrop of a Halloween and so people, you already have those feelings, just the the, the, the the general nature and the feelings that you have on Halloween, I think does give it a nice extra element. But the movie itself is scary enough, I believe, that if it came out and it was just a, a summer movie with a stalker killer, I think it still achieves iconic status. I would 100% agree because it's a low-budget film that scared the fuck out of people <laughs> and that's why it became a huge success. Yeah. And whether that was on Halloween or not, I don't think it would have Yeah, the first person and the bre- the breathing, well, the- like that stuff is genuinely unsetting regardless of what day it's on. Yeah, Bob, to your point though on the rewatch, I, so have you been to Logan Theater in Chicago, Bob? In I have Square? not. Okay, so it's like this really old theater and they did a, a 10 o'clock Halloween showing like three years ago when I lived there that I went to and everyone was dressed up and we were, there was like a sidebar so people were drinking and I'd say half the movie was just the entire crowd was like laughing because the deaths are pretty ridiculous. And the acting is <laughs> fucking like, horrible. Really, <laughs> Even Jamie Lee Curtis the, is bad. But the deaths though, yeah, it's just, it, it's a free and movie. like the scene where Michael is uh comes in with the ghost costume on yep. and the glasses over the sheet is so funny. Well, how about it's right actually, before that, that when he, it is hysterical he just stakes the guy to the wall with a standard butcher knife like the... the yeah, the it's, yeah. Sure. No, it's so bad. I mean, it's insane. It's impossible. The knife was about a foot right. too short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but and that's why it's a great movie to hand down generation to generation because kids can kids can yes. watch it. You can watch it as an 11-year-old and be okay. It's not going to completely mortify you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it, and for the eleven year olds, it's really not gory. You know, it's scary, but like there's, there's like no, six murders. Really, yeah, they well, it's murders, but it's not like bloody and guts everywhere. Like it's really pretty, yeah, they're practically pretty don't timid. Think they show blood yeah, except I really don't think yeah, there's a strangling. Yeah, it's a genre defining movie, and the funny stuff in it, the other stuff makes it just more memorable and more like cult classicy. But it doesn't take away from it because that's what those kind of movies do. They just sort of set the vibe for the genre and i think it's yeah it's great i read that the original release was without a score oh the song is like the most legendary which is crazy oh wow which which john carpenter wrote himself he composed that himself and he doesn't even know how to make music or write music it's like four piano notes i think i think that (laughs) halloween theme is wow that's a component yeah, it's a completely different experience if you don't have that song. I'm curious. I wonder what's more important, back to my question, right? Whether it takes place on Halloween or if you don't have that music. Like, what impacts oh, the, the music? Oh, the music is critical. The, it's so, it's so le- I- iconic. Yeah, that's, right, that's the right word. It's, it's insane. Shout out to Donald Pleasance, Dr. Loomis, as well. Very, very, he's the only good performance in the whole movie, but he's, he's actually pretty good. And in, in, in the, the best scene, acting-wise, is when he's talking about seeing the evil in Michael's eyes. That's a really, really nice scene. 
All right, so we've got some classics. I'm going to get some of the classics down. We got a really good start. Some of our some of our old trusted stalwarts, our old go tos. Uh, Hammond, what is your second movie? You're having a long night. You're gonna fire up a second horror film just to put yourself over the top. What's your well, second? I wouldn't watch? say that fits into this this definition. I, when you asked this question, we decided to do the podcast, and it was picking a couple movies that we thought were the scariest movies. I had to go back in time and think of what was the movie I was actually the most scared of while I was watching it in the theaters. I think that's that's really the dynamic I was looking for. And embarrassingly enough, what lies beneath the 2000 classic with Harrison Ford? Not embarrassing. The movie scared the fuck out of me. Okay. It's great. It is great. It's, uh, it's just funny, right? Because it's not going to be an iconic horror list, I don't think, at all. And maybe this is just, again, the age I was. It was 2000, so I think I was like 14, 15. I don't remember exactly who we saw with, but I saw this movie with like five or six people. And for some reason, I didn't think it was going to be that scary. I don't know if it was the trailer or what it was about. This is back before cell phones and Rotten Tomatoes and yeah, even IMDb, no idea. I think. We went and just like, let's go see a fucking movie. And I'm pretty sure great. we went and saw it together. And then we came out of that movie like, everyone was like, we go home alone tonight? Yeah, you're not alone in this. I remember when we saw Yo, uh, Alex... Could, he left halfway through. He couldn't even take it. He literally left. What? There's That's nothing how happens it was until the then. final <laughs> act of the film. Well, no, that that movie is creepy. I mean, we were what in middle school, so I mean, we weren't very good at taking scary no, movies. No, that yet, makes but. sense though, because at that age, for some reason, I think it was just the way it was marketing. But the funny thing about me saying it's embarrassing is, as a film, it's not good. It's a bad movie. It actually has. It's like three movies in one. The first act is like the suburban mystery it's almost like rear window by hitchcock kind of like i have in my nose it's very rear window it's zemeckis trying to be rear window right that's what i wrote down right and zemeckis is like a super talented director obviously but it's like okay is this gonna be the whole movie and then that just stops abruptly then it's the second act is the slow drawn out like seance ghost kind of movie that it, it doesn't really work that well. It slows down too much. And then the third act is this crazy, like, escape through that's got a car chase and Harrison Ford being this completely different character who's a nut. And it's kind of all over the place. But there's all these jump scares throughout that that are pretty legit. But rewatching it, they weren't nearly as scary as, like, Paranormal. But it speaks to the technology again, right? Because, like, when, it, when I f- was first watching that movie and, like, the she's in the bathtub and turns into the ghost or whatever, that, that just got me, man. I was, was like, so scared. What? Now that seems like run-of-the-mill average like bullshit that you see all the time or whatever. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's The rewatch wasn't great, but at the time, I was definitely really scared. I rewatched that movie probably for the first time, because why the fuck would I ever watch a movie so scary like ever again for this podcast? And I had the same thought. I was like, this is the movie? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, it's bizarre. There's some, like, man, there's like a whole conversation about, because Harrison Ford's like a, I don't know, bio genesis or doctor or whatever and there's a whole conversation about like feeding these rats like this paralyzing agent and it's so like on the nose foreshadowing that you're just like okay even if he gets out of that third act the dead giveaway he definitely did it he He used the serum he developed for rats to make her incapacitated apparently the car with a dead body before is in the same spot just hanging out like 30 people in the water none of it really makes any sense but it's it's fun why let me ask this why did harrison uh Ford. So, uh, first, so, so he's faking his own death by suicide, right? In a bathtub? 
That's right. And then literally he gets out of the hospital and tries to kill his wife by faking her death by suicide in the same bathtub. Yes. How do you explain that? Well, it's a bull movie. Yeah. Murder once. <laughs> the detective report would be pretty. It would be pretty clear. Like, there's a lot of foul play going on with this guy. There's a lot of questions. Yeah, and she just blacks out and doesn't remember anything that happened until the ghost helps her. I mean, the whole story is dumb. <laughs> but for me, I guess just to wrap up some of it, how I feel about it, it's like th- this was the movie at the time that I was so scared at that I have to put it on the list. Yeah, we should go find an eighth grader and see what the scariest mm-hmm. movie like out right now is. And the that movie is yeah. Do you think if someone's our age and hasn't seen it yet, it's worth watching? Or do you think it was terrible because you'd seen it once already? Or is it just genuinely a terrible movie? I think it's a bad movie that's that's worth watching. Well, I'll say I watched it with Zandi. So I rewatched this with Caitlin, my girlfriend, because I thought of all the stuff we were rewatching, this would be the one she could handle. And she was weeping at the end of it with terror. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll play it as part of the play out. I'll, I'll, I'll play her crying, but it was, uh, it was actually a video of it, but she, uh, she was very scared, but then she scares easy, but you know, I think maybe some adults could, would find it spooky in a, in a first watch. I know I did, man. I remember, I don't remember a lot about, you know, eighth grade, but I remember going home after this movie and it was one of the like rare examples where at that age I was home alone for some reason and I went and checked all the doors in the house, and the phone would ring, and I would jump, and I was like, God damn it, man. I was, like, fucked up after that movie. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I remember that. It, it stayed with me. It was terrifying. That's how I feel after Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, it's definitely Zemeckis trying to throw some love to Hitchcock that the shot of when it goes under the floor and it's almost like she's laying on a glass floor but it goes underneath the floorboards and give you this gives you the perspective of her paralyzed was very Hitchcockian and then when she's when he's passed out in the house oh, yeah. and she opens up the car door and you you get the perspective of the rear view mirror and it swings and you see him getting up in the shadow and then the car door closes again and you can't see it. You, you, you still stay with the perspective of that rear view mirror or that side mirror. That's that that stuff was very Hitchcock. So yeah, it's straight. It's his. Hitchcock. It's his attempt to do it. No one can do Hitchcock like Hitchcock, though. I'd rather watch Psycho. Yeah, agreed. Cool. So let's kick it back over to Royal Oak, Michigan. Mr. Shea, what's your second watch? Speaking of Jordan and locking doors and stuff of that nature. I approached this. Scream was obviously my most rewatchable. I watch it multiple times every year. And the second one, I really went for, like what Mike said too, like what scared the shit out of me the first time I watched it. And this one still kind of scares me. Like it's still very unsettling to watch. And it's The Strangers. And so scary. So scary. I know. It's so creepy. Like I know home invasions are like a pretty busy subgenre in the world right now, and it has been for for years and stuff. But like, I mean, there's cla- like when a stranger calls and Black Christmas. There's been a bunch of them, and You're Next and Knock Knock and The Purge and all these came out after The Strangers. But The Strangers is the one that makes my list because it's again it's a terrifying film that ticks a lot of the Halloween boxes, like the must-haves. Like we've got masked villains, which is cool. Um, and also terrifying. We have a lack of motive, a complete lack of motive. It's one of the absolute That's the scariest scary. part of the movie. Dude, the scariest, yeah. that, that might be the scariest line. It sounds simple, but that might be the scariest line in film history when they say, why are you doing this? And that girl just calmly looks at her and says, because you were home. Like, that is fucking terrifying. It's That's a little so hyperbole, but it was scary. very scary. Oh, when she, when she delivers that line, it is so creepy. And 
I think I think Mike, Mysterious you and I, line in film again, a lot history, of these, that when that line hit, I was like just chills. There's not very many like dynamite lines. It's usually situations that are scary, but that line, super creepy, just cold. I, I agree just with you, ice Colin. Cold. But because it was fouled with her shoving a knife into the main character's body and then just dying. Like, oh yeah, they don't. Another, they don't get out of it. It's not just an empty threat. It's that's the end. That's the yeah. End. This this was another one where it was like to what you said, where it's it's kind of this. This is gonna sound terrible, but it's kind of refreshing to see movies when the when the bad guys win. And like, you usually go through a movie so long, and you're waiting for that moment of triumph where you're like along with this ride with the with the the main characters, and you're waiting for them to overcome their threat. But like in this one, you're almost along with the ride with the with the killers and you get this moment of catharsis with them at the end when they finally when that knife finally goes in like they shoot it in a way that it's like supposed to be satisfying from the bad guy you know what i mean it's it's a very deliberate scene it's not like out of nowhere like they have them tied up in the end there's well they could have killed them several times yeah there's a time where she's crawling on her hands and knees to get to that woodshed and you're like they could murder her right now if they wanted to right they draw it out they draw it out they draw it out so much and like it's almost like a moment of like, oh, finally it came when it, you know what I mean? And that's, that was so rare and just terrifying. And, and Mike, like I, I was, I was about to say, like, I think there's a number of these movies that, you know, like you and I watched in college and this was specifically one of them. And I remember we, us talking about how it's one of those movies where you kind of can't even blame the guys that are in the, like the couple that's in the movie. Like the dude gets a shotgun, he holds up in the bedroom and you're like, all right, I'm just going to wait you out. I have a shotgun and you don't. And you're like, all right, that's smart. Like, that's what I would do. And then shit still goes haywire. So you can't even, like... Dennis Reynolds comes in. Dennis Reynolds before he even had the chance to peek, man. He was just peeking. <laughs> he just got there. Blows off his moneymaker, man. Poor Dennis. Well, well, yeah, Colin, to your point, too, though, I, I think this, this movie might be a little scarier for us. I remember talking about this when we saw it in college because we're used to this getaway up north Michigan house thing. Oh yeah, middle of, middle of nowhere isolation. Right. Yeah, for you sure. Never, you never really think about when you're that far away, especially when you're in college. Like cell phones don't work. It takes you 20, 30 minutes to get somewhere, and cops are nowhere. Someone, like right, it takes cops. Right, it takes cops an hour to get there. Right. The idea of someone kind of boxing you in—they don't even have to have guns really, or anything that can. If you're not sure what they have or how they can kill you, but if they can keep you like near that compound, there's nothing you can really do. Yeah, and we, a, mention, we mentioned the re-watch, the rewa- like what makes a movie rewatchable, and especially in horror where it's kind of hard to get that feeling. When you play on a very universal fear, that's what can pull you in time and time again. And The Strangers does that feeling of isolation, claustrophobia, and helplessness that like everyone can relate to. And every time you turn the movie on, that's just a very that's a that's a terrible feeling that resonates so strongly anytime you watch this movie and it's still it's still uneasy and anyone who thinks that this movie's not very scary like i dare you to open your back door and then go watch it and not be scared well put yeah i think it's uh i think it ends up being really tragic too just because of the way it ends and the the fact that like uh that last scene is just they do a great job of realizing like the the good guys quote unquote they don't get away this is how there was no there was no way out from the beginning no way out that was it yeah, very so just exactly with the with the Mormons pulling up, and it's it'll get easier next yeah. time when she gives her yeah. the, the the other killers assurance that <laughs> we're going to get better at this. 
So this was actually the first movie that uh, Chrissy, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, went and saw together. And I think part of the wow. reason that she ended up marrying me was uh, because of the implication. <laughs> the that implication is... that if she said no. Yeah, <laughs> that is exactly is where we have to leave this conversation on The Strangers. Uh, we'll swing it over to you, Harris. What is your second movie? Yeah, I'm going two for one here, but they're essentially the same movie, and that's uh, Let the Right One In, which is the original uh, Swedish version. And then there was an American remake called Let Me In. Which is uh, also really good. It is really good, and it's essentially the same same movie. Uh, so I guess I'm going to kind of focus on the American remake. I know uh, the three of you guys all went to Central, so you can't really be bothered to read subtitles during a movie. So. Whoa. That was such a low blow. And while we went to school, we definitely were victorious over MSU. So, Mm. (laughs) yeah, fire up trips. Um, This this pick for me is more of a uh, I want to just give attention to this movie as uh, more so than it is you know a classic Halloween movie for me because it's not really it's not really a scary movie per se, but it does deal with vampires so you know i think it kind of fits the genre For sure. um, but generally it's just it's a really u- unique film uh and i it's it's one that i don't think got the love that it deserves mostly because it came out the original one came out the same year as twilight film came out uh which is pretty unfortunate uh <laughs> to have you know vampire love story serious movie come out the same time as, as twilight and I think Even by the time the American... 50 times better of a movie than Twilight 2. It's so unfortunate. Yeah. And I think by the time the, the American one came out, Let Me In came out, there was already like three Twilight movies and who knows how many like vampire romance spinoffs. And I think serious moviegoers were just like done with the whole vampire thing. And Let Me In is not a movie for the Twilight crowd. So it just kind of got lost in the mix. Uh, but it's a really great film that I'd encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to... Uh, sit down and watch uh, and you know ultimately it's a it's a film about like love and acceptance it's an odd couple story uh, yeah with the main characters being two kids or two 12 well two 12 year old kids one of them's kind of a a boy who's been bullied at school and he's kind of an outsider and uh, the other one is a 12 year old girl who's actually a vampire who's maybe like hundreds of year old hundreds of years old um, but trapped in, you know, trapped in the 13-year-old's body. Right, exactly. And also, for that reason, you know, an outsider in society because she's living this secretive, reclu- reclusive life. And um, in a lot of ways, there's, like, parallels, I think, between this movie and Moonrise Kingdom that has a focus on the, wow. innocence, of, the innocence of youth and, like, a youth kind of love story. And that part of Moonrise Kingdom. It's not a no, quirky no, comedy, obviously. I but... just never would have expected that. That just surprised me. Yeah, I don't know. I just there's something about like kids discovering like themselves and kind of forming relationships and falling in love that's just like so pure and innocent that when you're watching it, it just seems very wholesome and realistic. I don't know if that with makes that, sense. With that dynamic with the kids, though, it's interesting you bring that up because what, what compared to Moonrise Kingdom, like the kid is Oscar the one that's in, he's in let. Let the right one in, right? What's his name? And I forget what it is. And let me. Owen. And two names are Owen. Owen. Yeah. So he's essentially like a budding psychopath in in both of these movies. You know what I mean? Like he exhibits a lot of 
characteristics that you look at him, you're like, dude, he is kind of fucked up. Like, he's going to be an evil person when he gets older. But then there's still this, like, love story of him and a vampire. It's an anti-hero and it's kids. But you still, like, root for it. It's really unique in that way. Yeah, there's that scene where he's wearing that mask and he's got the, the knife. Yeah, and he's stabbing the tree. And, like, I know he's bullied yeah. and stuff like that. But, like, you still look at the way he handles it and you're like, oh, I think somebody should be looking at this guy. Really? I, I totally didn't see it that way and i disagree i think it's more of like i don't know i think kids think a lot of things right that uh are uh you know very personal to them because they don't have the worldview to have that like larger base of experience to know how to handle situations and i think this kid is somebody who's been picked on and he's trapped and he's struggling to like uh you know find a way to stand up to these people and, and the scene is creepy when he's wearing the mask and stabbing you know a tree or whatever but he doesn't actually carry out any of those actions specifically um until there's a scene later in the movie where uh uh that's eli in the original i forget what her name is and let me in but uh the vampire chick tells him to stand up to the bullies and then he fights back a little bit and for him, that's, like, his crowning achievement. It's not like he's out there, oh, I want to go, like, murder everybody now. Well, I mean, he, he's he also, feels he's, like... he's spying on his neighbors who are, like, changing mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, he just had a lot of tendencies that aren't very endearing. I, that, that's all I meant. Like, he's, he's a pretty anti-hero as a kid, and I feel like you rarely see that. Well, and that's why I think this movie is so compelling, because it's, it's pretty tragic, and it's sad, but it's also sort of heartwarming. The relationship's a little heartwarming, but then again... She's out there murdering people, like unjustly, yeah. right? It's a, to it's survive. A sweet juxta- it's a sweet compare, like the juxtaposition. You like, like you, you still root for him. Don't get me wrong; like you're still rooting for him. It's just rare that you see, like two antiheroes that you're both rooting for who are also kids. It's a really unique. Side moment. note, side note, guys. Really good cast in the American version. Yet Richard Jenkins, oh, who yeah. I think is always very underrated. And then you've early Chloe Grace Mortez too. Yeah, she's yeah, great. I, I'm looking forward to the rest of her career, actually, because she's been in a couple of great movies already. Mm-hmm. Hugo, yeah. Hugo comes to mind. She was pretty yeah. uh, fun and kick-ass and let me in. So You don't need to get super far into it, but, I mean, the gender issues and, like, her saying that she is, uh, you know, technically a female, but not really, like, you know, she's, she's more than that. I think I forget her exact words. And then Owen or Oscar just essentially going, well, that's cool. Like, I still like you. You accept me. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot yeah. of, like, it's like a rallying cry oh, for a lot of, like, the LGBTQ yeah. things that are going on right now. And I know this movie's been cite- it's cited as, like, a, a good stepping yeah. stone or a good example of, like, just accepting people who are, who would otherwise be considered outsiders. Clarice Mertes also was uh, Carrie in the new Carrie. So she's turning yeah. into a new Scream good, Queen. Good remake. Good remake. And... Colin, to your point, Richard Jenkins was her father figure in the movie, but he was actually, it's implied that he was her, her lover. Know, kind of lover when they were yeah. both, because he's human, right? And she's mm-hmm. the player, so he ages yeah. and she doesn't. So he so was, he's been, been with like her for years. Leon, yeah, like a yeah. Leon the professional kind of uh, angle there. The older Yeah, there's a lot, the a lot going on in this movie. But uh, to kind of answer your question, Colin, I, the movies are based on a book, right? So it's by yeah. a Swedish author, and in that book, uh, Eli's actually not a girl at all. She was a young boy that was castrated, uh, like back in the day, which they've cut out of the movies. But that kind of theme of I'm not really a girl, that, that oh. kind of context, uh, even more in the, the book. Movies. 
Yeah. Mm. Interesting. No, I didn't know that. In the movies, they've actually made her a girl, but yeah, that kind of, uh, uh, I guess, explains that backstory a little bit. This would be a movie that is it is great for a prequel, by the way, because I would like to know what she was up to before this. Stop asking for sequels and prequels to Pre- other movies that don't need them. <laughs> you know, I want a prequel to the sequel. The movie is fine. It doesn't need anything. She would make a great Avenger. Let me tell you that, all right? Okay, She'd make a great Jesus. Avenger. Next movie. Uh, hit the alarm. <laughs> Colin sucks alarm. Okay, so uh, we'll get into some shout-outs because we're, we're getting into that time. So there's a few that I wanted to kick off in terms of shout-outs, and we'll just spend a little bit of a elevator pitch here, talking about some movies that aren't necessarily on our list but that we want to throw some love to. The first one I have is Cabin in the Woods, and a very fun Joss Whedon hilarious movie but but also has some really good horror elements to it as well and it really it, cut from the same cloth of scream it, it, it's a horror movie that celebrates horror movies and it's for horror fans and it really the plot just deconstructs them and justifies every horror movie that you've ever watched and so i like to watch it just because when i'm watching other horror films i'm always thinking about the guys behind the glass that are constructing this and, and, and how this is actually some sort of sacrifice to some uh, some horror gods that aren't going to ruin the planet. So I love Cabin in the Woods, and I think it's a really super fun watch as well. What do you guys think about and Cabin in the Woods? Another great Richard, too. Richard, Richard Jenkins Richard shout Jenkins. out. It's our guy. Perfect Kinda. segue, yeah. Uh, I also, it's not as good as Paranormal Activity, but I I, I do like to watch Blair Witch Project. I remember watching that as a kid. It was one of the first horror movies I saw in the theater, at the main art theater, a a little local art house, but spooky, and and it was just huge at the time. Do you guys remember how big Blair Witch Project was? The best part of that movie was the marketing campaign ahead of time. Where yeah. I actually, at the time, thought like it was real. I wasn't sure it was, if it was real. For hundred percent, yeah. That couldn't that couldn't then, exist anymore. And then the part of that where they're walking around with big cameras and like a boom mic sound guy and all that stuff to record, just walking around and how they probably never could have predicted like ten years later there'd be a phone that could like do all that stuff yeah. for you. <laughs> there's, yeah, really. there's, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of movies where I don't remember the first time I watched them. I vividly remember the first time going to the theaters and seeing this, and I was with Forrester. And we were both on the literally knees, like huddled to our chest, like on the edge of our seat the entire time. Like this movie was terrifying the first time you saw it. Really, I was more scared by the thought of the movie than I was the movie itself. Oh man, no, I thought it was the super scene where they run out of the tent holds up. That's a good scene. That's a really oh, good scene. The, the whole ending, that, and you talk about well, build in like the middle, the yeah. build of it, and just when when it when it's finally her and her finding the house and getting into the house. That's intense shit, man. It's still intense. So another movie that's been parodied so much that it's hard to remember what it was like when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. Another Michael Scott parody. There you go. Yeah. Food yeah. what is it? I hate yeah. when people <laughs> label their food in the fridge or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other two I'd like to mention, uh, if if you're if you're giving a shout out to Hitchcock, you got to talk about Psycho. Psycho is just an all time classic. Doesn't necessarily give me the chills anymore, but when I first saw it, it actually held up really well. And then I love Hereditary, and it's on streaming now, it's on Amazon, I will definitely go back and watch that, probably pretty close to Halloween, but 
some stuff that I'll never be able to shake. So those are my shout outs. How about you, Hammond? What are some of your shout outs? My first one that I'm a little bit bummed out that I didn't think about this before when we were texting about movies we were going to do. I think 28 Days Later is my favorite sort of zombie movie. I'm a huge Killian Murphy guy. I just love yeah. that movie. Yeah, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. It was the top on my list of shout-outs. That is the I'm best I'm frustrated I didn't think about it immediately. Yeah. It actually frustrates me. It's, yeah. Yeah, just it's amazing. It's a fantastic movie. It's amazing. Another movie that has a lot more to say than just zombie kind of nonsense. So that one for sure. Next is going to be It Follows, which was one of my favorite sort of indie movies I saw. Shout-out shout to, to Detroit. Mitchell. Yeah, Plus he stole Michigan, that. Man. Yep, it's a great Hope one. Hope that guy blows up. Most of that Clark has elements of Let Me In as well with it the does. whole pool scene. Yeah, Clark's ice cream, scenes. man. There's that <laughs> 80s like synth kind of retro. The music's bizarre. The, the way that they portray that, whatever the it you want to interpret that is, is really cool. It's just really good filmmaking. So I think the, they make the music era, in that era uh, agnostic, right? Because they do, it's purposely done, but there's like an 80s aspect to it, but then everyone has cell phones, but then... Like certain technology exists and certain technology doesn't, really cool. so it's it's made to look like it could be like any time. Confusing. Another really good Detroit horror film is Don't Breathe. Oh, yes. that one, that one too. Yeah, that one's also really good. List. Yeah, that's a great. I haven't one. seen that one. I'll have to watch that. Oh, it's really. That Detroit's really just good. a really scary place. Well, that's more of like <laughs> a thriller, though, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, well that's like a, it's another home invasion movie. I mean, you got a you have a blind guy that they break into to steal money from, and then he's clearly not as disabled as they think, and shit just goes nuts after that. It's a really really good movie, and they they do represent the blight of Detroit pretty well. It's a really good movie. <laughs> it's very tense. Yeah, there's no one with him. Uh, Hammond, then, any of your other yeah, shout outs? Last one, going old school. Rosemary's Baby is a oh, is a God. is a really good scary movie. I think that actually holds up with Roman Polanski. If people want to so watch creepy. that. It's 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 very, I think Mia Farrow is is really good in it in like that like innocent but, um, like sort of like tainted way. She's she, she's really all over the place in it. I think, but the, the callback of the movie I think or watching it again is, another movie that you're actually interested in doesn't have that hokey old sense to it. So I would I I definitely recommend that one. And I watched it randomly like six months ago and I was kind of shocked how good it was. I hadn't seen it since like college I think maybe high school. Yeah, it's so scary. And definitely influenced Hereditary, which I was just mm. gooing all over. So, Colin, how about you? What about your shout-outs? I've, I've kind of got a bunch left. I'm curious to hear Harris's and see if I can pick a few up. All right, we double, to, if we double up here. Go ahead, Harris. All right, so Hammond covered uh, 28 Days Later. Bobby covered Psycho, which I think totally still holds up and is a fantastic movie. And if you haven't got around to seeing the classics yet, you have to see Psycho. Um, but beyond that, I've got... Take Shelter, uh, starring Michael Shannon, which isn't, again, a true horror movie, but it puts you inside of a uh, guy's head as he starts to develop psychosis. And Bobby touched on it earlier. That's one of the most terrifying things, to be losing your mind, but not knowing that you're losing your mind, and thinking that you're uh, hyper-aware of some event that's going to happen. So that really stuck with me for a long time. Uh, Also, Creep is uh oh yeah mark duplass it's on netflix and yeah it's another found footage movie but it's really well done there's essentially i think just there's two people in the movie uh so it's just the interaction between those two characters and it's uh true to its name it's really creepy creepy so uh check that out for halloween and then you know sometimes guys were a little too serious so uh, go enjoy yourself some uh, hocus pocus around Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> That's an enjoyable movie. Sisters. You gotta you gotta watch that once a season. 
It's well, now I know what we're playing ourselves out with. <laughs> I say, it's die, up and baby, up and die. Perfect. Thackeray How about you, Colin? Um, all right, good, good, good. A few of these have been taken um, along the lines of Don't Breathe. If you like the, uh, the audio types, we've got Hush and A Quiet Place. Both came out after and played off that same kind of thing with uh, silence and, and sound. Both very good. If you're looking for something a little more lighthearted uh, with your slasher movies, I'm sure a lot of people already know Tucker and Dale vs. Evil because it's on Netflix. And it's a really funny, funny premise about backwoods you know, do-gooders who get stereotyped into being mass murderers. But the better one, if you want some fun, and Hammond, I believe this is another one we watched together that I still consider one of my favorites, is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's a, it is a geniusly conceived mockumentary about a guy who he, he wants to be the next Michael Myers, next serial killer. So he hires a documentary crew to come film him as he's planning out like how to pick his victims and find a good mass murder setting and get insider knowledge on how like serial killers train in the offseason. It's hysterical and super refreshing. And like Scream, it, it also has like a lot of really good genuine scares. Like There's some scary parts, and the ending is scary. And it goes from horror to comedy really well. It's really, really good behind the mask. Um, if you're more into like the occult and the demonology, Sinister... Like along the lines of The Conjuring and Rosemary, Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. Sinister is terrifying with Ethan Hawke. Um, it's not necessarily a found footage thing, but he finds footage in his attic about first-person view murders, and then it kind of takes an occult turn from there. It's just really, really scary. Um, some other really good occult ones are Starry Eyes. Uh, it's a young woman who pr- pretty much do anything for fame. The Skeleton Key with Kate Hudson. It's like Skeleton a slow... Po- a good one. Yeah, the possession movie, like the voodoo, the deep south. It's like a really unique setting for one of those types of movies. What, like, it's, what it's lies really beneath a... in the south? Uh, yeah, it's really. Skeleton key sucks. Oh, that movie's kind of creepy. It's a good um, mystery story. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. There's House of the Devil. It's like a babysitter gone wrong thing. But The Exorcism of Emily Rose, I don't know if you guys have seen that, is one of my absolute favorite possession stories because it takes it to like a different place by moving it in, por- in part to the courtroom. And it kind of asks whether or not religious beliefs can be prosecuted. So there's like genuinely scary, disturbing scenes of the possession and how this person comes to do that. And then also there's courtroom drama. And like you leave that movie asking yourself a lot of powerful questions. It's really good. And then I got one more. The last one, you know, you guys took it follows, but another really good monster movie. And it's the other contender for the scariest movie I've ever seen next to The, the Strangers is The Descent. If you're looking for a good monster movie, is a good movie. That is a very the scary. It is terrifying. Like the first, time, right? It's like caves. Yeah, it's like five women. They're cave diving in uncharted cave. You know, right. that's a you know, great story to start. Spurlunking, yes. Morgan Freeman helped him out. Um, and it's super claustrophobic. And obviously, when they get down there, they're not alone. And there's there's monsters down there and stuff. They get caved in, and then that journey going through that. The character development is really, really good for a horror movie, you know, to caveat it with that. Um, just really, really well-timed scares with the darkness and the depths of the caves and all that kind of stuff. If you're looking for a genuine scare and you want to be scared, go see The Descent. Man, Colin, uh, you might have to get on a pod with Bob and uh, who's the uh, the horror expert? <laughs> Definitely not me. I'll, no, no, I'll no. Let... Who's your, uh, the guy that comes on the podcast? Oh, Bobby horror. Peterson. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, I love him. This time. is this this is me all all October every year. I'm always trying to beautiful search the airways well, for these. 
I'll wrap this up by giving a quick shout out to The Exorcist just so people don't try to come and beat us up for not mentioning that over Halloween and play you guys out with a little hocus pocus and I appreciate you coming on from Royal Oak, Colin Shea thanks for coming on buddy absolutely, pleasure being here as always and I appreciate you guys in Denver as always, thank you very much Mike and Jordan lock your doors people, lock your doors Thank you, Doris, and I appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy some of these spooky movies. Have a safe and happy Halloween. Sisters! Sanderson sisters! <laughs> Have a good one. See Bye. you. Goodbye, analysis listeners. <laughs>